Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. In 1999, The Matrix was one of the biggest films of the year, starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie-Anne Moss and Hugo Weaving. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Directed by the Wachowskis, The Matrix was groundbreaking for many reasons, including its stunt work and visual effects. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. Over the course of the original trilogy, also consisting of The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, the films constructed a world that had never been seen on the screen before. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. While its sequels weren't as well received critically, the franchise remained incredibly popular with its fans, inspiring several spin-off projects that expanded on the Matrix universe. This included the Animatrix, short films, comic books and video games Enter the Matrix from 2003 and Path of Neo in 2005. Both of these games had direct support from the Wachowskis and introduced new characters and plotlines. But a third game was the only one designated as the official continuation of the Matrix story when the films concluded, The Matrix Online. For most people, the release of Revolutions in November 2003 signalled the end of the series. But The Matrix Online was already well into development. The Wachowskis, who were also huge gamers, had given their blessing for the story to continue in the hands of the developers and the players. I'm James Parkinson from Lawson Media. This is Gameplay, stories about video games and the virtual worlds that power culture and community. The Matrix Online was officially released in March 2005, which for a game based on a film franchise that had ended more than 12 months prior, seems like odd timing. But MXO, as it became known, was just another way to expand on the Matrix story, as the comics and animated short films had done. The Wachowskis had chosen comic book writer Paul Chadwick to write the story, because he'd previously worked on the official Matrix comics. Chadwick was given freedom to tear things down and make the story his own. The game was first announced way back in May 2002, a full year before Reloaded hit theatres, and it made some big promises about the experience that awaited players. Um, So The Matrix Online was a massively multiplayer online role-playing game that was um, really unique in the sense that it wasn't like the other games that were out at the time, which were like EverQuest, or um, this was before World of Warcraft came out, right? And uh, so a lot of those games didn't really have any player-shaping story events. And this game promised in its infancy to allow the players to shape 
what was going to happen in the Matrix. And they they were basically promising early on that this game was going to allow players to be able to continue that story beyond the three films and that our actions were actually going to impact that story moving forward. And not only that, but your character, your avatar, so to speak, um, would be immortalized in the continuation of the Matrix story. My name is uh, Andrew Furchland, and um, I was known by Spartan, or Janice, as my character was in MXO. Like many fans of the series, Andrew got into The Matrix Online right at the beginning. I remember watching a promo for The Matrix Online, and I, I swear I found it on the like the special features on a DVD. Maybe it was Matrix Reloaded, maybe it might have been Matrix Revolutions, where they were showing footage from the game, early, you know, alpha stage, obviously. And this time, the outcome is up to you. The Matrix Online. And I, I was like, wow, that is so cool. What is this? And of course, you know, this is the early days you know, of the internet, right? So you go online, try to find the website and, um, and just see, see what was coming down the road. And I was so excited because I was, I was a pretty big Matrix fan. I mean, it was, that was a very impactful series. Of course, you know, we all have our favorites, right? The first Matrix is, is the best. I think everyone agrees to that. But that being said, the continued story and evolution of the series, the, the film series, and then the universe that Hopefully, at the time, it seemed like they were going to continue building with The Matrix Online. Um, was very exciting. So, a quick recap, if it's been a while since you've seen The Matrix films, or maybe you've never seen them at all. The Matrix is set in a distant future, where artificial intelligence has seen the rise of self-aware machines. The machines turned against humanity, imprisoning the human race inside a virtual reality system known as The Matrix. The world as it was at the end of the 20th century. It exists now only as part of a neural interactive simulation that we call the Matrix. By stimulating human minds through the Matrix simulation, the machines are able to generate enough power to sustain themselves. The human body generates more bioelectricity than a 120-volt battery and over 25,000 BTUs of body heat. Combined with a form of fusion, the machines had found all the energy they would ever need. Yeah, that part never made much sense. But anyway, humans who have been freed from the Matrix are able to come and go from the simulation through the process of jacking in. They do this in order to free others and to defeat the sentient programs known as agents, who act as gatekeepers to the Matrix. This is the core, where we broadcast our pirate signal and hack into the Matrix. The films follow a computer hacker called Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, who is said to be the one, the person who is destined to defeat the machines and free humanity. So, there are obviously some parallels between The Matrix and dropping into a game world like an MMO, which made the concept of The Matrix Online such a great fit. So you launch the game up and uh, you would pick your character. You you could have multiple if I remember correctly, but for me, I, I just played the one. And you would pick what you would jack in with. And this is something that uh, was totally different than other MMOs at the time. This game was you are uh, just a persona, you're just a character in the game, and you could pick and choose and change and drop your techniques, your abilities, whenever you wanted to. You'd be able to change what your skill set was when you logged in. 
Your appearance now is what we call residual self-image. It is the mental projection of your digital self. They called it something matrixy, but at the end of the day, it was still pretty much the set in stone MMO archetypes, right? You have your uh, you have your mages, you have your rogue types, you have your um, your range types. And then within those, you have different kind of subsets, right? So you had, you know, Kung Fu Master, you had uh, Karate Master, you had Aikido. All three of those martial arts would have different types of moves that would do different things. And you could mix and match them within the builder. So you would you would load that up at the uh, login screen, pick what you wanted, pick your clothes, and then you would jack in, just like in the movies. Okay, so what do you need? Besides a miracle. Guns. Lots of guns. And you'd pop in next to a hard line, which was a phone booth um, that was scattered around the map. So you'd pick which one you wanted to log into. And so once you did that and you're jacked in, you have this awesome moment where you have all the uh, the green code, you know, just dropping over all the buildings, dropping over your character as, you, as you're loading in. Uh, and then finally everything would render and you'd be in the space. An important aspect of MMOs are the communities that are built around them. In the early 2000s, Andrew was playing games like EverQuest and Star Wars Galaxies, and enjoyed being part of guilds with other players. But his experience playing the game World War II Online, where he was a more active member of its community, inspired him to create a guild of his own, and The Matrix Online was his opportunity to build something from the ground up. It was driven by the story, right? And, uh, and that was a big draw for me in the first place. So if I was going to start a guild, start an organization, I wanted to do so in a way that would give my organization, my team, the leverage to have the influence to be able to really not only influence our server, but influence the story of the Matrix itself. And that was a huge pull for me. Um, So that, that really prompted me to get into player organizations and to get started early because I knew to have the best success, the most um, close knit organization, you really got to get in on the ground floor. And by ground floor, Andrew means before MXO was even in beta. I just made a conscious choice to be as active as I possibly could um, on the message boards uh, to get in there and and, um, just see what the pulse of the uh, community was. What did it feel like? What were people talking about? Really just staying active on there as much as I could. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to start a crew. They really hadn't fleshed out what the clan or guild system was going to be. So a lot of people were thinking that they were going to kind of go down a route of like a hovercraft, like in lore, right? So you're talking about, you know, Morpheus's crew, right? You have all these guys who are on one ship. So in my mind, I was like, okay, so I'm going to start something similar to that effect and start my own ship, start my own crew. And from there, it just snowballed. I mean, it, it just got out of control. <laughs> uh, I had some folks who I got along with on the message board and they saw my post in the uh, clan recruitment. I was one of the first ones there. Um, they wanted to join up. I was like, great. Well, you're part of the crew. Put in your signature. And one of the guys on there, uh, his name oh, wow, flashed before my eyes. It's War Dog, right? I don't know where you are word dog these days but buddy you helped out tremendously uh so word dog said hey you know what i can uh, i can make a website and i can host Teamspeak, uh and i can start a forum <laughs> i was like wow that's great i didn't expect anyone to do that so without a whole lot of effort at least initially uh we went from really having not a whole lot of groundwork to having the real beginnings the real trappings of a, a viable player organization 
Of course, every guild needs a name, and Andrew's was the Illuminati, keeping in mind this was 2003, and Andrew was 16 years old at the time. Honestly, I, I can't remember why I wanted to call us the Illuminati. I think uh, we just wanted to be a little mysterious. And, uh, and you know, you hear the you hear the name Illuminati in, in the real world and you're like, OK, you roll your eyes at it. But hey, what if that was actually a real organization? And and uh, what if, you know, we actually live in the Matrix? Maybe they're a real thing. So we, we kind of went down that path and, uh, and started that up and just kept building crews up. The role-playing aspect was a big part of what attracted people to the guild, especially at this early stage when the game wasn't even playable yet. My focus when I was building the organization was community. I wanted to build an organization that encouraged activity encouraged creativity, encouraged uh, role play. Now, granted, like I said, I wasn't, I didn't go into that big into role play, but uh, I think all of us at some point started making uh, stories around our characters, like actually writing short, short fiction. Um, so fan fiction, I guess, right? Uh, with, with our stories in mind. Um, and so the idea was to have many little communities inside of our overall community. And uh, I, th- I think it was very successful. I think it really was. We, we did very well into the launch of the game. We had a very active community, very happy community. And part of that was also some of the things that we would do while we were waiting. Uh, we had our own uh, radio service or, you know, streaming radio at the time. We called it Illuminati Radio. Um, so it was playing all, all the time. So we'd be listening to that while we had our own TeamSpeak server going. And so we just really did the best we could to pass the time together. Um, and surprisingly, it was incredibly enjoyable. Um, in fact, I've made some lifelong friends out of that organization. We haven't met in person, but, you know, we've known each other for close to 20 years now. Yeah, we... Role played on the forums. There was also places on our forums to put like fan art, write fan fiction, things like that. Um, but I would also spend a lot of time playing other games with my guildmates. This is Joanna Nelius, currently the senior electronics editor at Reviewed. But back in the days of The Matrix Online, she was a high school student who didn't have a computer powerful enough to even run MXO. But that didn't stop me from actually joining the guild and learning a bunch of different things about the game while not actually ever playing the game until recently because there is an emulator. So my relationship with The Matrix Online is probably very different from majority of maybe other players out there. I just immersed myself with my guild, and these are still people that I consider my brothers till today. The Matrix Online was developed by Monolith Productions. Ben Chamberlain started on the project as a tester, but he would go on to become a key member of the team. I began on The Matrix Online as the quality assurance lead at Monolith Productions. Monolith were making the game under licence from Warner Brothers, but WB ended up acquiring the company in the middle of closed beta testing in August of 2004. MXO was one of Monolith's biggest games to date, with a budget to match. It was a very ambitious project. They went off and hired as the uh, lead designer and the the secondary designer, of course, were were two guys, uh, Toby Regani and Adam Borman, who had backgrounds in online games, I think, I assumed, uh, I'm pretty sure they did, uh, because they would talk in this in this vocabulary of, of things that 
you know, about online games that was all new to me. So there were definitely these sort of big ideas about, you know, what you could do with, with an online game, and they wanted to do something different. And so the one of the big things was the combat system. So they had two different types of combat in the game. They had free range combat. I'm pretty sure that's not what it's called, but that's pretty much what we called it. And then you had uh, interlock combat. Officially, it was called free fire combat, but same thing. Now, free range, it's it's just like any other game. You know, you have, for instance, uh, if I shoot at you with a gun and you have a high uh, bullet resistance or whatever they called it at the time, then you would dodge the bullet. I couldn't hit you. So if you have like a level 55 player, level 50 player, level one guy shoots at him, he's just going to dodge all day and it's never going to touch him. That's, that's kind of how that worked. And then you had interlock, which was I'm going to get into combat with you and we're going to put up our skills and our abilities against one another in a sort of scripted, I think they used motion capture as well. Like a true, a truly one-on-one duel like the Matrix films. Like, you remember the first Matrix when Neo fought uh, Agent Smith in the uh, subway? It was like that every time, which was so cool. They did such a good job with that. Um, now, was it always balanced? No. <laughs> was there things that were overpowered? Yes. But the actual combat system itself was really well done. That was a big selling point of the game, but it was also probably, you know, it, it was very different than your typical MMO. So uh, that would have been perhaps a challenge for players to get their heads around. Another big difference was just the type of world it was. It wasn't, you know, a big uh, sprawling landscape. Instead, you were all in this big city and... Uh, when you took a mission, for instance, it did not just spawn you into sort of a separate completely separate dimension that wasn't connected. You were actually inside. You would go inside the buildings that would unlock, you know, you would unlock a certain floor in a building and then conduct your mission and beating people up and looting things and stuff all inside that building that was in, you know, this neighborhood in the city and in the downtown. And and so it was all, it was this very different type of world. And that of course had its own uh, significant challenges in terms of just how do you make that how do you have servers that can handle the load of, you know, perhaps thousands of players packing into a one building downtown or something, you know? Um, so it was, it was pretty challenging technically. I think fortunately they, they did get some pretty, pretty smart guys as the engineers. And, uh, I think they just about pulled that off, but it was a very different style. Just even the server architecture was this completely different thing. It was based on like biological, algorithms meant to simulate, you know, cellular structures and all this sort of highfalutin stuff. So it was pretty crazy. Ensuring a game runs smoothly is challenging under normal circumstances. But for an online game, particularly an MMO, there's a whole other layer of complexity that can cause problems. So there's all kinds of pieces going, you know, technical uh, pieces moving in the background to make the game work that can be very tricky to, to debug like one of the early things that our internal test team was working on, I know was just churning in uh, through just a huge quantity of animations because the the combat animations in the game were all captured from from actual you know motion capture. You know, you have the ping pong balls uh, taped onto to martial arts actual martial arts specialists who were who were recorded and their movements captured and all that stuff so they're just thousands and thousands of animations they were chopped up and and had to be able to assemble on the fly into you know these cool matrix style 
uh, kung fu gun sequences. And so that was just a huge task for the testing team and the animation team to be able to churn through all that stuff. I mean, you're talking about millions of possible combinations, uh, stuff like that. There's, there's all kinds of, again, it was a very complicated world. And uh, just for the world designers to be able to load the world they had designed into the level editor so that they could move things around and make sure everything is working and put things together. It was a huge, uh, you know, it would run the strongest computers we could get to the ground. So uh, there were all these sort of challenges for different parts of the team. After months of waiting, players were finally given a chance to jack into the matrix with the closed beta. Andrew's Illuminati Guild had been steadily growing as anticipation for the game increased. We probably reached close to five or 600 people. So we were really just active. That was our active group. Players were impressed with the unique approach that The Matrix Online was taking, but there were still bugs that needed to be fixed. We were really unhappy with launch. Uh, and that's kind of, that's an understatement. I mean, it, we, we played through the closed beta and uh, we were like, hey, guys, this is not ready. I mean, it's crashing all the time. I mean, it was it was scary for something that you spent so much time building a community for. And then you, you play the closed beta and you go, oof, this is going to be rough. And they say, well, launch day's here. And you're like, well, you guys probably should push launch. And then they launch it anyway, um, which you, honestly you can't even blame the developers for because, I mean, they changed publishers, like not even not even before beta. <laughs> so it was it was a troubled launch, really. Um, and a lot of us who were in the closed beta, who were so passionate about the game, um, you know, turning in bug reports constantly, dealing with all the crashes and character wipes and everything, you know, we, we were saying, hey, it's just not ready. Ubisoft was set to co-publish The Matrix Online with Warner Brothers when they suddenly backed out of the arrangement in February 2004, which wasn't great timing. And the game's launch was delayed on more than one occasion. Sega would eventually take Ubisoft's place, but just three months after the game's 2005 launch, Warner Brothers sold the rights for the game to Sony Online Entertainment. MXO was Warner Brothers' first project in the world of video games, and with fewer than 50,000 active players at launch, it wasn't considered economically viable. This meant the Monolith development team was shifted across to Sony, or at least the lucky ones who didn't lose their jobs through the acquisition. Well, it was uh, that was a pretty big change. I mean, it uh, and yeah, you're right. It was really fast, wasn't it? I wasn't sure exactly what the timeline was, but it was pretty fast. I mean, Warner, they were no dummies, and you know, they had people who were able to see that that it hadn't hit the numbers they wanted or something. I suppose there was also a bit of a feeling with Warner that maybe they they didn't quite feel like they they had the kind of expertise that could have turned things around. You know. Because um, MMOs were, were not uh, a thing they had done a whole lot of. So it's actually probably uh, pretty lucky that they did find a buyer in, in SOE, I guess. Um, so it was, it was a big deal for us because, you know, Sony agreed to buy the game, but they only agreed to keep on a third of the team, basically. So, but yeah, so a lot of people were being let go from Monolith and some of these people had been there for years. It did sort of take the move and getting into the new building and, and getting into new environment to be able to feel like, okay, now we can, we can try to make something out of this, which is not to say that people there weren't still doing their jobs. Of course they were, uh, but it was, but you know, it was tough. It was, it was really tough to have that many people just 
not through you know their own fault be out of work all of a sudden and, and how how can you kind of try to say something comforting to them when you're the jerk who didn't get let go you know so uh yeah it was definitely pretty weird After the break, MXO's life after launch and how it continued the Matrix story. That's next on Gameplay. As an independent podcast, listener support is incredibly important for Gameplay. So if the show is valuable to you, please consider becoming a Gameplay member. Memberships are just $5 US a month or $50 US a year. You'll receive an ad-free podcast feed, bonus content, and I'll personally send you a Gameplay sticker pack. There is a free tier as well if you're not in a position to contribute monetarily, but if you can, you'll be actively helping to make the podcast sustainable so I can continue to bring you stories you care about. Sign up now at gameplay.co slash membership. Thanks. With Sony taking the reins of The Matrix Online, only around 20 to 30 employees who worked on the game were retained from Monolith Productions. Ben Chamberlain was fortunate to be one of them. Prior to the sale, he'd moved on from lead tester to become a mission designer. As the game entered its post-launch phase, he took on greater responsibility of The Matrix story. By the time I got there, it was fairly smooth, and you, as long as you could sort of type in complete sentences and, and check boxes and you could sort of keep track of which AIs should appear where and in what missions and so forth. It was fairly straightforward, but it was kind of fun. It was really the first time I had been paid to do writing, uh, in, even in this sort of, you know, cut up, chopped up way. Um, but you were essentially just writing little stories. I mean, we, so we were working from an outline that was written by Paul Chadwick and sort of breaking the story down into discrete chunks that would form I don't know what our original schedule was. Eventually it was every six weeks a new sort of uh, sub-chapter of the story would unfold and we would present that through a series of uh, five missions or so. So, you know, you got to write in the voice of these different Matrix characters. Essentially you're writing little short stories that were already, that were fitting into an overall story arc that had been written by Paul Chadwick. So somebody else was sort of doing the big story and you just got to concentrate on little stories of your own. And, and, uh, because, you know, it was sort of all hands on deck to, to get content generated, there wasn't too much oversight. So we actually had probably more freedom than we should have had to, uh, just make up our own little stories in the game. So, you know, it was, it was a good, actually a pretty good, climate, a good environment for, for a new writer, I think. Ben actually got the chance to work alongside Paul Chadwick at one point, and some of his writing was even run past the Wachowskis themselves. Well, I mean, you didn't want to screw things up. Uh, I mean, at least I didn't, and I don't think any of the people I worked with did. Uh, you know, you wanted to remain faithful to the movies and to the things that people loved about the movies 
and then you wanted to be able to i mean it, it was your job to be able to essentially understand what was cool about the matrix and somehow be able to take this you know new story and fit it into what was cool about the matrix so it felt matrixy but still moved into a story that had not been seen in the matrix films so it was it was challenging in that sense and and then eventually paul sort of moved uh, away from the project so i essentially had to take over even just the, the big story picture writing although that did lead to a fun point where he i i gave him a, a story outline for what i would do you know beyond where we were where his story took us to and uh, he seemed to think it was okay and he, he so he sent it he ran it by the wachowskis he was the one who could contact the wachowskis and uh they so i guess they actually read it or skimmed it or something <laughs> and um well no they did read it because they actually had one they only had one thing in the in the story that they wanted me to, to tweak uh, or they said, don't do that. Uh, you know, essentially it was fun because they wrote back in like centered all capital letters, uh, like, you know, script writer style. Uh, he showed me the, the email they sent and, uh, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, that seems like something that movie directors would, would write. The story would unfold through missions and live events. The story missions were updated regularly and allowed you to progress through the narrative either solo or with your guild members. The live events also drove the story, but many involved larger objectives that often pitted the game's different factions against each other. You could play as one of three different organisations, the Zionists, the Machinists, or the Merovingian. And the larger events were where the game shined, bringing together the whole community. There were events like Race to Find the One, where factions competed to gather fragments of Neo's residual self-image. Another event, Hunt for Morpheus, was one of the most impactful narratives, and the most controversial. Here's Andrew Furchland. So it, it kind of started to splinter off into these different human factions and how they were interacting with player factions that you as a player could be in as well, and you were running missions for any of these three sides, and just working through the story in, in that respect. But where it kind of goes from here is uh, Morpheus gets killed. Spoiler alert, it's been a long time, guys. But Morpheus dies um, from someone called the Assassin. The Assassin is this guy who is made up of flies. And he's essentially, um, he's, a, he's a program, just like a lot of the other things in the Matrix. And uh, so one of the first major events in the game was actually hunting down this Assassin and killing him. The death of Morpheus, who was played by Lawrence Fishburne in the original trilogy, was one of the earliest story beats around the launch of the game, and it was a big shock for fans of the series. Fortunately for Ben, these major plot points had already been set in motion by Paul Chadwick. So Paul started things off with a bang, and uh, I'm, you know, I know that that story decision took a lot of flack from some players who, of course, didn't like having Morpheus get, get killed off. So by the time I was more the one having to make the story decisions myself, um, you know, the, the, the big shocks in terms of deviating from the movies had already happened. And that worked in Ben's favour. He was able to put his own mark on the Matrix universe without a lot of blowback, and he established a relationship with the Matrix online community. Ben and another mission designer, Andy Seavey, would sometimes drop into the game assuming the role of major characters and take part in live events with players. I was eventually doing these daily live events where I would check into the Matrix as some 
story character. And uh, very often I would have this team, this live event special interest group or Lessig as, as uh, the abbreviation went, they would very often help me with these daily events of, you know, role playing on the servers and, and running some group of character or some group of players who we managed to, to find or to, to organize in, you know, some kind of daily little adventure. And it was really those, uh, those daily little adventures that we ran with players and, and, you know, very earnest role-playing and, you know, and then players who have no idea of role-playing and are just there to do silly dances and, and, uh, and tell one-liners and stuff. And so it was just that kind of daily adventures with players. It, it was really the, where the, the fun stories were to me. Sometimes there were developers who were running around as agents and they were essentially souped up characters. And uh, sometimes they would be acting in the game uh, and they were most of the time you wouldn't be able to fight them. They were just there to, to kind of move the story along. Um, but at the same time, there was also in-game live events, which were honestly the coolest parts of the game for me. A developer would play as Ghost, or a developer would play as Nairobi, or a developer would play as the Merovingian, and they would do in-game text, they would talk. Um, sometimes they would even you would even be able to find them randomly, not in an in-game event. They were just in the game as those characters, and you'd get to hang out and, ch- and chat with them, which was probably the coolest instances, um, because it was really kind of a one-on-one interaction with these characters. It was super cool. And then you'd have the larger events, of course, which is everyone's there uh, and, and everyone's spamming the chat. Uh, and of course, it's if there's, you know, it's a PvP server, so everyone's murdering each other at the same time while the event's trying to happen. So that was that was always a good time. For a game that showed so much promise, The Matrix Online never quite lived up to its high expectations. It hit its peak during those first few months after launch, before many players began to shift their attention elsewhere. I know that the community really dropped off after, I'd say after the Morpheus event, into some of the uh, uh, Neo events. It started just, once they got rid of the in-game scripted cutscenes and they went to a um, comic book type cutscene, I I noticed a big drop off in community activity. Uh, A lot of our folks were starting to play other games. Um, It just... As interesting and um, uh, as engaged as we were going into, uh, it, it did peter out pretty quick. We got to a place where our character builds were, there was nothing else to add. You weren't able to, you, we were completely maxed out in every capacity. There was no end game, so to speak. The end game was the story. And uh, they really didn't push, they didn't push the level cap up. They, they didn't, um, they didn't entice us to stay with what was coming um and so because of that it it just didn't really there was nowhere else to go right so if you if you play other mmos like you know world of warcraft they just added an expansion every year or so and they increased the level cap and new gear drops they didn't really do that with this um and so the stories would come and you'd get to see the story elements and okay that's cool you'd run the missions you're like that's cool too but then that was it until the next story element dropped. And so for those of us who played religiously and had the gear to show for it, and and you can only kill people in Mara Central for so long before you were tired of doing it. (laughs) 
None of this was the fault of the developers though. The move to Sony and the mismanaged launch didn't get things off to a great start, and with such a small team left to work on the additional content, MXO was never really given the chance it deserved. For Ben Chamberlain though, it didn't change his dedication and passion for the project. I definitely took it to heart and I just felt like, well, you know, I want, you know, this game to be good and I'm going to do what I can to make it good. So I, I you know, I, I spent a lot of time working on the thing and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, at some point you either, you're either punching the clock or you're really trying to make something people can enjoy. And, and I, that's what I wanted to do. So, you know, it, it, the, yeah, the game industry, if you're really trying to make uh, a game that people will enjoy, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's hard work. Eventually, Ben was the only full-time employee remaining on The Matrix Online, but he made the most of that time. I had kind of two things I could do for a long time, which was making missions, uh, and eventually I was the one who had to do all the missions to continue the story forward, and then doing these little live events every day with players. Uh, and those are kind of the two mechanisms I, I was able to, to use to try to make the game feel like it was continuing and, you know, I, the, the toughest part of that was that, especially with the daily events, you could only reach so many players because, again, you, you know, you're, you're jacking into the, to a specific server at a certain time and there's only going to be, you know, so many players who are there and paying attention and interested in, in playing along with you. So, um, you know, that was, that was tough and, and eventually as I was able to learn how to do more things in the game, I realized that, well, okay, there are things we can do. We can create an archive of, of uh, all the previous missions that we've all created for the story. So players will have access to that because again, because these, these ongoing, these missions, which were supposed to be carrying the story forward, they would come for six weeks and then be replaced by the next set of five missions. And so new players wouldn't necessarily have a history of knowing what had gone down. And it was just a huge batch of content. I mean, the game needed content and it was just being disposed of. So uh, we eventually were able to wrangle it so that, that players could access those old missions. And so that was, that was at least some chunk of permanent content that could keep people, you know, having stuff to do. Uh, and then I, I realized that I could sort of do these, these quest type of systems that, uh, you know, could be played repeatedly, could could last longer than the, the regular mission system would allow. All that stuff took a lot of work. So I had to make a deliberate choice to not do the daily little events with players anymore because that was taking up a lot of time and just say, okay, well, I can make these quests that everybody can, can do and that will be permanent content for the game. The Matrix Online lasted for four years. Towards the end, Ben learned about its impending demise and decided to quit. I had left um, some months before that. I, you know, they finally told me, uh, you know, <laughs> our, uh, our part-time producer called me into his office or whatever, his cubicle, I don't remember, and, and said, you know, they're going to have to shut the game down at such and such a date. And I, of course, known that this would be coming at some point, but, and, and I, and I even then thought I would, you know, be able to keep working on the game and, and, uh, for however many months were left. But, uh, I just, somewhat to my surprise, I found that, that I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, just knowing that 
I was trying to make this this permanent quest content and stuff that people could enjoy, but it was only going to be in the game for for uh, you know however many months for that. I think it was five or six months left, maybe four. I don't know. Uh, before the whole game was shut down, it was just gone. I mean, it's not like it's not like a regular game, you know. So that was depressing, and and uh, I just after a couple of days of struggling with that and trying to to keep working on it, I just realized I had to give my notice and leave. So yeah, I was gone some months before that. At the time of the shutdown, MXO had fewer than 500 active players, but the community was still strong enough to give Ben a proper send-off before he left. He jacked back into the Matrix one last time, with players throwing him an in-game farewell party. When the time came to shut down MXO, though, Ben couldn't bring himself to be part of it. I really, uh, I don't know, it was weird, but I, I felt like I just couldn't, I couldn't be there. I couldn't just watch it be shut down. You know, it was, it was depressing to me. On July 31st, 2009, The Matrix Online was officially shut down for good. MXO was one of those short-lived games that makes you wonder about what could have been. The Matrix was a huge franchise, and as far as games based on films go, it had a lot going for it. Only thing I can really say was it was a very special game. I'm very grateful that uh, we had the opportunity to play it. Um, I wish I wish it was supported by the uh, the studios a little bit better. The people who had worked on it were incredibly passionate. None of us in the community were upset at the developers. We we just knew it was kind of an unfair situation all around. If things worked out a little bit differently, uh, if if the um, Warner Brothers didn't hand off the title to Sony. Uh, there's so many things that could have happened better. Um, I think it, it probably could have carried on a lot longer, but uh, it just didn't work out that way. The Matrix Online wasn't the first live service game to be shut down, and it won't be the last, but they are often outlived by their communities. You know, we were just kind of like a big family. So once I got my feet wet and really started to get to know people you know, without even knowing their real names or seeing their faces, you know, it became a safe place for me to go to on the internet. Remember, Joanna Nelius never got the opportunity to even play MXO during its peak, but her guild allowed Joanna to embrace her love of the Matrix universe regardless. A few of my old guildmates have told me that they could have like sworn on their graves that I did play the Matrix online with them because I was always there in the forums, posting on multiple threads multiple times a day. I was chatting with them in team speak, you know, just shooting the breeze, things, things like that. So I immersed myself so much in the community that today, 15 plus years later, there are some of my old guildmates that still believe that I actually played the game with them because I was always there. But it never bothered me to the point where I was angry that I, you know, felt like I was missing out or things or things like that. Because again, everybody was so great about rehashing what happened on the forums and everything else. Um, so it, you know, do I do I wish that the emulator today was as the game was back then? Absolutely, because I you know did get to do the emulation a few years ago, but it's just totally 
you know, empty and void of people. And it's, you know, it's a virtual abandoned ghost town and it's kind of creepy and cool at the same time. But um, it was at least that moment, like 15 years later, was a special moment that I got to share with some of my old guildmates. And when they finally realized, like, no, that's the first time I've ever played it. So I never felt a sense of longing. While capturing the experience as it once was isn't possible, the Matrix Online emulator is still keeping the game alive in some way, especially for those who didn't get to play it the first time around. With a new Matrix movie on the way though, fans are petitioning Warner Brothers to bring MXO back. I'd say that's probably a long shot, but with the franchise seeing a revival in cinemas, an entirely new game set in the Matrix universe might not be out of the question. It's unlikely we'd see another MMO, but the recent Unreal Engine 5 demo, The Matrix Awakens, certainly has fans dreaming about jumping back in. When a fourth film was announced, The Matrix Resurrections, questions arose about the direction its story might take. Fans began diving back into The Matrix online story for clues on how Resurrections may unfold, and just how much of its plot, if any, will be included. MXO was an official continuation of the story, and many people consider it to be canon. But with Lana Wachowski back in the director's chair, it could go any number of ways. For a start, Keanu Reeves is back as Neo, despite the character being killed off in Revolutions. And it seems as though Morpheus isn't really dead either. How is that going to play into Matrix 4? I, as, a, as a filmmaker myself, I'm pretty sure they're just going to throw that whole <laughs> throw all that right out and just do whatever they <laughs> whatever they want to do. Um, and I totally get that. I understand that. And I think that uh, it's probably going to be best for for the for the storyline itself to continue on, kind of fresh, because um, no one's gonna no one's gonna have any idea of what the you know except for us diehard fans or what the Matrix Online is um, or, or what the story was in it. But uh, yeah, I, I think the I think the future is bright for wherever they decide to take the series. After leaving Sony, Ben Chamberlain moved on from the games industry. But he says the experience allowed him to work on his creative writing skills. These days, he creates a webcomic, combining writing with his passion for drawing. You know, it had a big impact, and like I said, it sort of made me realise that I could, I could do things, I could tell stories, and I enjoyed telling stories. You know, without having worked on the game, I don't, I don't know if I ever would have realised that and would have tried to do some sort of storytelling type of thing. And for Andrew, while The Matrix Online never reached its full potential, his guild was something he'll always be proud of. The community was something special that I have not found anywhere since. People truly cared about the IP. People truly cared about their part, their story in the IP. It was a big family. It was a big happy family. It, it, we were all there for the right reasons, I think. Big thanks to Andrew Furchland, Ben Chamberlain, and Joanna Nilius. If you want to learn more about the Matrix online story, or even check out the emulator and jack into the Matrix yourself, you'll find the relevant links in the episode description in your podcast app, or on our website, gameplay.co. Gameplay is a production of Lawson Media. This episode is written and produced by me, James Parkinson. The gameplay theme was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, and our artwork is by Keegan Sanford. 
additional music from Epidemic Sound and Breakmaster Cylinder. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Gameplay Podcast. You can also join our Discord community. And if you'd like an ad-free feed of the show, become a Gameplay member and help us to make the podcast sustainable. Links, transcripts, and further reading is all on our website, gameplay.co. Until next time, thanks for listening.